really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. As always, I'm your host. My name is David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm easy to find. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. You can find me on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just drop me a line at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So we had some great rugby on display this weekend, so why don't we get right to it? So as always, we start with our current updates, and you know what? Not a heck of a lot to report on the home front this week, so instead I thought I would just talk about the show. So last Thursday, I got to make another guest appearance on the Scottish Rugby Podcast, which was almost criminally fun, as always. Highly recommend subscribing to them on Patreon so you can get all of their content. It's just the best. Uh, We're busy planning a big episode featuring those guys and a couple of other guests for our 100th weekly episode. Stay tuned for more on that in the next couple of weeks. Of course, (laughs) I mean, we passed our actual 100th episode quite a while back now because you know just because of all the bonus episodes in there it's about 50 50 in fact um i figured though we should do something very special for the 100th actual weekly ep as well um speaking of bonus episodes finally got rachel law to come back on to do our six nations recap which was awesome she's so fantastic and i'm currently in the process of rescheduling the upcoming conversations with sammy sullivan from our usa seven squad as well as phaedra knight whose qualifications are simply too numerous to quickly detail here uh, on top of the, uh, all of that in just a couple of days free jacks head coach scott Matthew will make his return to the scrum of the earth as well so keep your eyes out for all the great stuff coming your way Well, Isa, I don't know yet if it's good news or not. Nine months ago, I would have thought it was an absolute catastrophe, which is kind of what makes it hard to figure out now. Either way, I'm sure you've already heard, Gregor Townsend will remain the head coach for Scotland through 2026. Quoting here, quote, Gregor Townsend admitted he had resigned himself to the likelihood that his time as Scotland head coach was drawing to an end before the Scottish Rugby Union recently uh, moved to offer him a new deal until April 2026. The 50-year-old's previous uh, contract was due to expire after the upcoming World Cup, and with no talks having taken place with the governing body, there was intense speculations uh, during the winter that he would be leaving his post following the autumn showpiece in France. However, Tentative negotiations began in the middle of the recent Six Nations campaign, and it was confirmed on Tuesday that Townsend, already Scotland's longest-serving head coach after taking charge in 2017, was set to remain at the helm a further three years. Quote, I suppose the time when I wasn't getting offered the contract, there was a lot of thinking going on there and a couple of stages in the season. I thought this will be my last season. So to be able to at least have the discussion and think about the future has been a big positive. And I'm obviously delighted to be able to stay with this group in this role for a few more years. He said Townsend was linked with other jobs earlier this year, but he insists there was never any likelihood he would commit to anything at that point. Not really. He said when asked if he was close to pledging his future elsewhere during his period in contract limbo, There were a couple of approaches uh, between the Autumn Tests and the Six Nations, but I didn't really think there was any chance I was going to commit to anything before the Six Nations. The positive thing was that during the Six Nations, discussions started to happen between the SRU and myself. While I felt I wasn't going to get a contract offer here, 
I don't think I was going to commit to anything with a tournament on the horizon, unquote. Uh, Townsend, who will have been in charge for nine years if he sees out this contract, is thrilled to be remaining in a job he relishes. Quote, not being able to make that choice of decision to stay was the difficult part, he said. Me and the coaches focused on the rugby side of it because there wasn't really any decision to make until we got to a, a stage where there was a contract offer. I love the job. You get ups and downs with it, but I feel you know, real sense of purpose being in this job. I've loved this season more than any other. The emotion down at Twickenham, seeing the way the guys came back at Paris to have experienced a tour like last summer in South, South America with new young players that breathed life into the team. We obviously want to build on that in the next few months ahead, unquote. We talked a lot about this on the Scottish Rugby Podcast this past week, as you can well imagine. So if you want to hear more, I mean like a lot more about that, please go check it out. You won't be disappointed. So that brings us to our thoughts of the week. And my thoughts this week are on the state of rugby in Fiji, where there have been a litany of challenges in the last year or so. So again, quoting here, quote, World Rugby are moving to stabilize the Fiji Rugby Union, FRU, after months of internal crisis behind the scenes on the Pacific Island nation. In February, Vern Cotter resigned as Fiji men's head coach seven months before the World Cup and two months later, all FRU board directors resigned, effective May 1st, while the union canceled its annual general meeting scheduled for 29th of April. The governing body now have an agreed-upon robust roadmap to set the union back on the straight and narrow ahead of the Rugby World Cup. The national teams will be unaffected by the move with the stream of high-performance funding to continue uninterrupted. A World Rugby statement reads, quote, Following recent publicized governance challenges arising within the Fiji Rugby Union, World Rugby, together with the FRU, the Government of the Republic of Fiji, and Fiji Association of Sports and National Olympic Committee, the FASANOC, uh, have set out a collaborative roadmap to ensure short-term stability, continuity of current programs, uh, and protect future preparations for major events while the wider governance topics are addressed on a long-term basis. The Fiji Minister of Justice appointed an interim board of trustees and administrator for the FRU and World Rugby engaged in urgent meetings with stakeholders to better understand the issues and how best to support. The resulting roadmap, endorsed by the World Rugby Council and Executive Board, outlines three pillars to restore stability and ring-fence the FRU's participation in rugby's international competitions. First, high performance and development to ensure stability and continued success of the international team's programs. Next, governance to ensure governance challenges are resolved with an ultimate aim of appointment of duly elected representatives from within the Fiji rugby uh, structures and adoption of clear constitutional corporate framework, and then day-to-day administration, ensure effective day-to-day administration of Fiji Rugby Union. Each pillar has been assigned clear leadership, roles, and responsibilities, and the overall oversight of the roadmap's implementation have been granted to Dr. Robin Mitchell, president of the Oceana uh, National Olympic Committee, and Kathy Wong, Vice President, Fiji Association of Sports and Nat- uh, National Olympic Committee and World Rugby Council representative. Ooh, that's a long title. A review of the position will be conducted in January 2024. In line with good governance practice at its annual meeting on Thursday, the World Rugby Council, following a recommendation by its executive board, took the decision to suspend the FRU from the International Federation's Council while the robust recovery roadmap is implemented. Woo! During this interim period, the FRU will remain a member of World Rugby subject to compliance with conditions set out within shared roadmap developed by the International Federation, the FRU, the Government of Fiji, and FASANOC. 
this interim solution will allow the FRU to continue its participation in world rugby tournaments while protecting high-performance programs for Fiji's, uh, Fiji men's and women's 15s and 7s programs. It also ensures that Fiji's international teams can prepare as normal for the upcoming World Cup 2023 in France and qualification for the Paris 2024 Olympic Games. Ooh, unquote. <laughs> well, I mean, on one hand, I don't know. This all seems... What's, what's the word? Heavy-handed? Maybe a little condescending? Like, okay, okay, you guys had your chance and you blew it. We'll take it from here. But on the other hand, I mean, something had to change, right? Like, I haven't been able to find anything about the details of what's been going on behind the scenes. By the way, if you know anything, please get in touch. I'm obviously very curious about it. But in the end, I just want them to have their best chance they can get. Like, it's just an incredible rugby nation. World rugby is better off when they're in top form and not being bogged down in, you know, politics and infighting. Do, do I have confidence that world rugby will be able to step in and just kind of solve everything? I guess we'll just have to wait and see, right? Okay, that brings us to our reviews, of course, and we start in the URC where we started with our semifinals. Ooh, I was excited for this. We began with the Stormers. They were back at the gorgeous DHL Stadium in Cape Town to welcome Connacht. They said they were expecting 50,000 fans to be in attendance. What an amazing event. I was worried my guys might be a little overwhelmed by this one. Best case scenario, I mean, they could have been like, hey man, it's all gravy. Nobody on earth expected us to be here anyway, right? So let's have some fun. Anyway, an early mistake by Dweba gave Connacht an attacking scrum and the, and the comms mentioned... It's supposed to get pretty windy, but that might be to the liking of these men from Galway. <laughs> I felt sure they missed a Stormer joke in there as well. A great stat then. As Jack Cardi pre uh, prepared to kick the first points of the contest, he has 100 points on the season at that point, all from the boot. So after a subsequent Mac Hansen beauty, Connacht found themselves up eight before a quarter hour had gone by. They do look nervy, do these Stormers, said the comms, but seven superstar Angelo Davids answered right back, and we were in for quite an evening. Manny Labak grinning as he sliced through for an easy try. That was the point when I thought Connacht might have been at the end of their season's rope. And when he got another, just moments later, I realized it was already game over. But, you know, a lovely grandstand ending for Andy Friend's tenure at Connacht. 24-13 to 13 was the halftime score. The struggle continued for my guys after that. 31-20 to 20 was the score headed into the final 10 minutes. The lead stayed at 11 despite some back-and-forth play, but right at the death, a no-look behind-the-back pass led to a try that had the entire stadium, fans and players alike, just going utterly bonkers. A really good performance by a team that's been flagging, but I'll say it again. I'll say it again. It's not just me being bitter. There's just no way I see this Stormers team repeating. Anyway, good on you, Connacht, for making it this far. Here's to hope. I thank you for allowing me to have some this year. It was pretty great. 43 to 25 at the end of Cape Town. Would we have a repeat of last year's final? So then, I almost hated to even start the replay. Leinster were hosts to a very injured Munster team. I only really half watched this one. You're welcome. Uh, Munster did tie things up to thanks to officials deciding to ignore the, the kicking shot clock. That was interesting. But, you know, if you think I'm going to complain about something going against Leinster, well, you clearly haven't been listening. Munster, they took a small lead. They held it until right at the end of the half. Leinster inevitably taking a 10-6 edge into the locker room. Side note, at the break, they showed a gorgeous shot of the Aviva, just shrouded entirely in mist. Lovely stuff. Amazingly. It was 10 to 13 after the 50 minute mark, but with three minutes left, it was Munster on the drive. I swear, I didn't believe what I was seeing as, as Crowley smacked a drop kick through for what the comms called the winner. 
but it was yet to be determined, and I was just a puddle on my stool. Munster, somehow overcoming the heavy favorites in the closest of contests, 15 to 16, the final tally. I was so excited. What a result. I couldn't even believe it. So moving over to the Premiership, that also, of course, went straight to its semifinals. On Saturday, Saracens welcomed the Northampton Saints to a sold-out Stonex Stadium. It was the series' legitimately likable player, Laura Otoje, getting his 100th cap on the night. Very nice. As we were now in knockout mode, the comms described the encounter as, quote, our first rugby with no safety net, unquote. I like that. So it took less than a minute for Sean Maitland to absolutely cream Agent Furbank, the comms calling for a yellow minimum. The officials apparently completely unbothered. Not a good start in many ways. The first score, in fact, came from Maitland, who shouldn't have been on the field at that point, in my opinion, so I was already struggling with this particular fixture. You know, several more bad or missed calls, you know, it made it feel like this one was already over. And as the sounds of Gloria Estefan's filled the stadium, the writing was well on the wall. It was 21 to three just at the break. After Saints gave away a penalty try, it was 31 to 15 with just under 10 minutes left. To be fair, Saracens, they played great defense, I'll admit it, and they were the better team coming in, so they probably would have won anyway, but it was still a frustrating display. Saracens winning at home again, 38 to 15. Snore. That was a weird snore sound. Anyway, on Sunday, Sale Sharks. They got a home fixture there in Printerland against reigning champ Leicester Tigers. Odd little side note, Leicester's Chris, uh, Chris Ashton had been red-carded this last weekend, but the disciplinary panel downgraded the offense to a yellow, which meant he was eligible for this match, but Wigglesworth decided to leave him out of the 23 anyway. Curious decision, I thought. Then, more bad news, Andre Pollard pulling out at the last moment. They didn't really say why, though, but really tough news. He'd been in great form re- recently, too, as well. Oh, at the top. Did you see the big inflatable shark they were tossing around in the stands? Classic. Loved it. So really cute scenes as John O'Ross came out for his final appearance at the AJ Bell, carrying his little daughter. Always a sweet move. In any event, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Gopperth was to fill Pollard's shoes. They mentioned he didn't want to retire and how this was a great opportunity to show he still got it. So naturally, he shanked a gimme penalty in the opening minutes. I guess we all saw that one coming. However, the next one was harder, so he nailed it. Same with the next one. And the best news after 10 minutes was no Harry Potter jokes from the comms. How long would they be able to resist? Gotta say, uh, Wayne Barnes, he was in full take-no-guff mode in this one. It was pretty awesome. He seemed absolutely incandescent with rage over one of those typical non-fight fights we always see. And did you see Anthony Watson and Manu Tualagi, by the way? Just a chance of a bit of a cuddle, said the comms, as they took zero part in the melee. So, really close battle in the first half, but a yellow card to Dan Cole when it looked like a brilliant turnover might have been a serious shift in momentum. As they headed to the lockers, it was a very near thing. 7-6 to six in favor of the Sharks. In the second stanza, if you had 55 minutes in the Harry Potter joke pool, you would have won it. As he dotted one down in the corner to, there he is with his own special brand of magic. Ugh. And Tigers had regained the league, uh, the lead. Uh, great showing of support from the Leicester fans who had made the trip, by the way. It was a beautiful array of various iterations of the uniforms from over the years. A really cool display. Anyway, George Ford, he tied it up. We had a real cracker on our hands. It, was it weird that I suddenly felt myself pulling for the Tigers, considering I've never given a crap about them? Anyway, we'll leave that one unanswered for now. But lucky 13 was the tie score as we crept towards the three-quarter mark. Sale, they went ahead with a try off, quote, the worst pass George Ford has thrown all season, unquote, according to Ugo Magna. And the flags were well and truly waving throughout the stands. 
With 10 to play, it was 21 to 13, and time became Leicester's enemy. No more points were to be had, and it was Sale, as expected, coming away victors 21 to 13 to set up a clash that I, for one, think they might be able to win in Saracens uh, against Saracens in two weeks' time after the conclusion of the European Cup's great game this one. Okay, jumping over to France, it was the penultimate round for the top 14, and as I alluded to last week, saw a ton of movement on the table. Racing and Lyon both leapfrogged Bordeaux Begla, who went from fourth to the cusp of missing out entirely on the playoffs. Toulouse and La Rochelle were already sitting pretty in the one and two uh, slots, respectively. Nobody would be able to bump them out at this stage. However, places three through six were very much up in the air still, so... Quick little word about relegation in this league as well, because I didn't actually fully understand how the top 14 handle it until this very week. So obviously, the team finishing 14th is automatically relegated with the winner of the Pro de Deux promoted, as you'd expect. That's obviously how it would go. But on top of that, the runner-up in the Pro de Deux then plays the 13th ranked team in the top 14, and the winner of that one secures that final sp- uh, spot in the big league. Kind of cool. So like if you're in the Pro de Deux and you fought hard, all year just to fall a hair short in the final, you still get one last shot. Pretty cool. Anyway, this year, mathematically, Perpignan had a teeny tiny theoretical shot at getting themselves to the safety of the 12th spot, but it was highly doubtful. Meanwhile, Breve, they are guaranteed to be in jeopardy. Even with two bonus points wins this week and the next, it would not be enough for them to get out of that danger zone. Tough time for, uh, for Breve. Anyway, this week began with Perpignan versus Toulouse. The comms were trying way too hard to give the contest stakes that definitely weren't there. Either way, it was a gorgeous day. The hosts actually held onto a lead for large chunks of the first 40, clung to a 17-15 to 15 lead at the intermission. With the final 20 minutes remaining, it was a surprising 23-21 to 21 advantage for the second-bottom home team, and the crowd was absolutely salivating. Incredibly. It worked. They made it 26 to 21 by the end, escaped with a rare victory over the league leaders. A fantastic way to start this round. So cool. So my Border Beagles, they managed to blank visiting Poe. That one was 28 to nil. Bayon bested Clermont with uh, just by a penalty kick, 21 to 18 in that one. Montpellier outlasted La Rochelle in a mighty clash, 42 to 31. I have to wonder if that's going to have any bearing on next week's showdown with Leinster. Anyway, brief. Uh, they fell at home to cast, seeing their chances this year diminishing almost out of sight entirely. Racing 92 absolutely punished visiting Toulon 43-7. to Apparently they've decided they're good again. <laughs> Finally, for round 25 out of 26, whew, on Sunday it was Stade Francais versus Lyon. This one ended in a draw. I mean, what a weird time for a tie, right? It was 31-all at the end, and the end of the season is coming into hazy focus. More on that next week. Okay, swinging all the way down to the Southern Hemisphere for Super Rugby Pacific, it was a pretty awesome round, I have to say. So Friday featured unbeaten Chiefs versus the Reds. I have to say, this one looked like a laugher on paper, but it turned into a great one. The teams were locked at 12 at halftime, and then the Reds scoring first in the second half, or as the comms said, quote, getting all the chocolates, unquote. It sounds much better with a Kiwi accent, believe me. Um, The Reds hadn't won a game on New Zealand soil since 20. 13, a drought of over 10 long years. Today, they were facing the unbeaten powerhouse Chiefs at their newly reopened Yarrow Stadium, but entering the final quarter, they still led by converted try. Fast forward to the end, Chiefs had tied it up, but the Reds got a penalty kick to regain a slim advantage. With the clock more than four minutes into the Red, the hosts were pounding on the door, smashed it over the line, but 
it was held up. Bang, double whistle. That was the ball game. 22 to 25, an amazing upset to kick off this round. Just a phenomenal result for the you know, for Tate McDermott and his struggling Reds team. Incredible stuff. So also on Friday, where I am at least, we had the Western Forest uh, fe- uh, facing the Fiji and Drua. Quick side note, Namani Nandolo, who's now part of the Waratahs, is injured at the moment. So they're bringing him into the studio to get his feet wet working comms. I would obviously rather see him on the pitch obliterating people, but got to say he's a natural as a commentator. I know he said he's retiring from rugby at the end of this year. I think so. seems pretty clear what his next move is. Anyway, as the force jumped out quickly to a 12 zip lead, I started to write something about how the Andrua are a shadow of their true self when they're on the road, but they ripped off 14 unanswered and grabbed the lead, though the hosts added a penalty to take a one point edge into the lockers with 20 points, uh, 20 minutes left to go. The visitors, found no more points and appeared to be attempting a record number of knock-ons. The comms started to get openly disgusted about it. At one point, they said, please, someone take that last 30 seconds of play and just, just burn it. Just destroy it forever. And that made things a little more fun for me. So as Falau Fainga smashed down his second try of the night, it looked like it was over. And as the hooter sounded, the, the Andrua were still stuck on their halftime score, losing 34-14 to 14 in Perth. It was the Force's fourth home win, putting them, for the moment at least, back in contention for those precious top eight slots. So Saturday kicked off with Hurricanes versus Moana Pacifica. It was a beautiful day in the capital. The home team offering up a, you know, a less than full noise squad to face their winless guests. It took them less than two minutes to get their first try. Moana Pacifica were here to put up a good fight, however. They were still within striking distance. It was 29 to 19 at halftime early in the second half. They cut that lead to seven, but I don't know. That seemed to awaken the Hurricanes, who went on a massive tear ballooning their lead to 28 with the final quarter left to play by the end oh my gosh it was the host putting up a ginormous score winning 71 to 22 at sky stadium holy cow oh and then my friends the obvious game of the round it was crusaders versus blues on a chilly saturday in christchurch with both teams sporting seven and three records and both having scored 47 tries incredibly a sold-out crowd on hand of more than 16,000 as well. Great stuff. This one quickly turned as brutal as you'd imagine. The Blues showing off some unbelievable defense and no less than four players going down with injuries in just the opening quarter hour. Still no score at that point as well. But check out the... Oh my gosh. Check out the tackle stats, okay? After a quarter hour, tackles made by the Crusaders? Two. Tackles made by the Blues? 71. I'm not even making that up. So it was right at the half hour mark that we finally got our first points with Quentin Strange, great name by the way, dotting one down to open up the door for the home team. Side bit for some trivia. Richie Mwanga was currently fifth all time for Super Rugby point scorers. Number one is of course Dan Carter and another guy playing t- this very evening. It was on uh, number three on the list. That's of course Bowden Barrett. The other two, however, no longer play in this competition. Who are the number two and number four all-time point scorers in Super Rugby? Answer at the end of this little bit. So, at the break, it was 10-3. to 3. They updated us to say that Sam Derry likely had a broken forearm. So this one was really taking its toll. It didn't take Crusaders long to get Lester Fanga Anuku into the corner to extend their lead, with Dalton Papali'i getting carded for a high shot on Mwanga in the same play. And in a low-scoring game like this one, it felt like the table had just become massively tilted. 
Uh, Noah HIA from Mwanga, by the way. He gets hit with a flying shoulder directly to the head. The man doing it gets sent off. Should we check it? Nah, rub some dirt on a kid. Ridiculous. So bad. Anyway, Lester was now tied with Sean Stevenson for most tries on the year. I was surprised to see that stat for sure, both with 10. Anyway, after three quarters of the match, it was still 15 to three, quote, by no means over, unquote, said the comms, but that wasn't how it felt. Akira Iwane, he came on to gather his 100th cap, joining the Franks brothers, the Duplessis brothers, the Barretts, and the Savias for the 100th capped fraternals. Kind of a cool, very niche group. A very, very weird ending ensued. Both teams uh, ensued, both teams seeming annoyed, but n- not much actually happening. No more scoring to be had. 15 to 3 was your final score by the end. Crusaders just creeping ahead of Blues on the table. Both teams still trailing the Chiefs despite the massive upset this weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. Almost forgot. Your trivia answers. Number two on the Super Rugby all time point scores list. Number two, Mornay Stain. Number four, Elton Yanchis. Yeah, cards on the table. They showed that graphic during the game. But when I looked up later to make sure, it said things a little differently in terms of their totals. So I don't know. If you have a a tiebreaker or more information, get in touch. Anyway, next up, we had Waratahs versus Rebels. The Rebels jumped out to an early lead. A massive crowd on hand in New South Wales. It was a tight one. The visitors eking out a three-point edge thanks to the boot of Reese Hodge at the break but they would give away a penalty try for collapsing the mall early in the second period. It was a two-score game with the final quarter to go. The visitors looked like they'd completely run out of gas. As Michael Hooper uh, booted it out to finish things off, it was 38-20. to 20. The Taz looked they, like they may have found some of that momentum that they've been looking for at long last. So on Sunday, where I am, the round concluded with Brumbies versus Highlanders. Aaron Smith was out yet again. This time they said, quote, on all blacks rest, unquote, which is not a phrase I had come across before. Anyway, you'd think that playing for this incredibly shambolic team this year would be rest enough, but there you go. So clearly my optimism levels were not high at the start of this contest. Uh, We did get a, a quick mascot sighting, by the way, the anthropomorphic horse known as Brumby Jack standing outside the Highlanders locker room as if he was there to like frighten them as they emerged. It was pretty great. Anyway, Highlanders, they actually managed to score first. They still clung on to a lead after a half hour gone by, but the Brumbies tied it up soon after. A tough sight then as Nick White had to be helped from the field. He is just getting his butt kicked this year. You have to wonder if, I don't know, if he'll still be alive by the time he goes goes to Perth next season. So 19-20 to 20 was the score at halftime. And, quote, this Highlanders team just won't go away, unquote, said the cops. Are you sure about that? Anyway, it turned into a pretty exciting contest. In fairness, the lead seesawing between the two sides with the Brumbies getting a single point advantage with maybe 25 minutes to go. With then just 15 minutes left, oh my word, Corey Toole, the speed on that guy, it's completely bonkers. Uh, He put in a worldie to give his team a six-point lead. Do yourself a favor and go watch that highlight. It was sick. It was redonk. Anyway, the Brumbies weren't done either. They really piled it on and eventually won pretty big 48-32 to to finish off the round in Super Rugby Pacific. Okay, back here in the States, the MLR also had a full docket of fixtures starting with the lowly Toronto Arrows at home for Rugby ATL. This one became our first draw of the season. Pretty sure. I didn't actually double-check that. You might have to correct me. Anyway, hard for me to describe a tie as exciting, but I don't know. Somehow this one qualified. It ended 34-all in Toronto. Then it was NOLA facing league-leading San Diego, who were on week two of an extended road trip, but... I mean, it was business as, business as usual. The Legion dispatching New Orleans 12-26. to 26. 
The big one this week had to be seven and three Houston welcoming eight and two Seattle. I think we got a preview of where the Western Conference is headed in this one. The Seawolves, though, eventually doubling up their hosts 17 to 34. A thoroughly convincing performance by the two-time champs. Dallas, we're back at home to face Utah. The Jackals' struggles continued, dropping another home game, 26 to 36 to the Warriors. Then, of course, the team ostensibly from DC hosted my beloved Free Jacks. And it was another emphatic win for my guys, 42 to 24. It was another brace for the unstoppable Vian Conradi and Reese McDonald. He had a fantastic game at fullback before, before being replaced by, wait for it, that's right, it was the much-lauded return of the incredible Bodine Waka back from his stint with the Kobeko Steelers in Japan. It looks like Waka is still in top form, and now he gives us added depth and, frankly, massive threats at fullback and at 10. The win brought us to 9-2 and two on the year, well atop the Eastern Conference. Here's hoping we don't do what I'm henceforth calling pull a Leinster. Hopefully, also, uh, New York don't have like three more All Blacks kind of waiting in the wings this year. So to finish off the week, we had Chicago back at the seat geek for the New York cabinet makers. The pups almost stole one from last year's champs, losing by a solitary point, 20 to 21. By the way, tickets for the MLR final, which will be held there in Chicago on July 8th, are now on sale. In case you missed it before the game, it'll be a block party with DJ Diesel, a.k.a. Shaquille O'Neal. That's right. Somehow. I don't know why. That made me really excited. I'm strongly considering making the trip. Well, by the music, you'll of course know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. This week, the award goes to Reese McDonald. Mr. McDonald, you have been phenomenal for my Free Jacks this year, and this weekend was no exception. Your highlight reel from this game alone looks like most other players' season bests. You've been instrumental in our conference-leading record this year. Reese McDonald, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Well done, sir. Okay, that brings us to our updates and previews. And of course, the URC, the Top 14, and the Prem are all off this coming weekend because we're finally, finally getting to the two grand finals in the European competitions. So on Friday, Glasgow will take on Toulon to determine the winner of this year's Challenge Cup. And then on Saturday, Leinster will be repeating last year's contest, but hoping for a very different result as they take on La Rochelle for your Champions Cup final. Both contests are going to be at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. How much of an X factor will that be for Leinster? And how much will the sting still be stinging them from this past weekend? Meanwhile, we have round 13 in Super Rugby Pacific. We'll have Moana Pacifica hosting Crusaders, followed by the Color Clash. It'll be Reds versus Blues. Those are both on Friday. On Saturday, it's Highlanders versus Rebels, Chiefs versus Hurricanes. Ooh, really good one. Waratahs versus the Fiji and Drua. And finally, the Western Force taking on the Brumbies back at home. I will be headed to Fort Quincy to see my Free Jacks taking on Nola Gold. That's on Sunday. It's a bit of an off schedule, uh, like an odd schedule this weekend, actually, in the MLR, because we start with Toronto versus DC on 
Thursday for some reason, while the other fixtures, Atlanta versus Dallas, Utah versus Houston, and Seattle versus Chicago are all on Saturday. A little weird, but whew, I am psyched to get back to Fort Quincy. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. It's been an amazing weekend. So much great stuff. Final side note for this episode. If you stuck around this long, you deserve to know, apart from the other upcoming guests that I mentioned earlier, I am very, very pleased to announce that the MLR MVP of last year, Mr. Bodin Waka, has agreed to join us here on the Scrum of the Earth. Definitely keep an eye out for more on that. So, as always... Thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And of course, be well.